So we're in week two of a new series called We Are Element as we take a look at why we exist as, as a church. What's the purpose for us gathering together uh, as a church, whether it be on Sunday mornings here in Parker, on Sunday nights in Aurora, or at any other time during the week, why do we do what we do? And so we're going to spend four weeks talking about who we are as Element Church and what we're about. And last week we talked about why we exist, answering the big question of why does Element Church exist? And we said this, our mission is to glorify, we exist to glorify God through whole lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our mission statement. Um, And so we spent all week last week breaking that down. And, and asking the question, what does that specifically mean? What does it mean to bring glory to God? And why, why is that the, the big statement in, in our mission statement? What does it mean to talk about transformation and transformed lives? And so I, I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to go to our website this week. And you can listen to the sermon audio. And there was actually an insert with some scripture guides in it. And if you weren't here last week, you can get that guide um, at, at our welcome table when you walk out this morning. But um, here's what I want us to do. I want us together, like we did last week, to say our mission statement out loud. So I'll say it once so I can set the rhythm, and then you're going to repeat, all right? So our mission, we exist to glorify God through whole lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So now you're going to say it with me. Ready? Our mission, we exist to glorify God through whole lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now the reality is every individual in this room, every individual who's not in this room, this church and every other church on the face of this planet has the same mission statement. We all exist for the same reason. Now we'll say it a little bit differently because every church has its own personality. We have our own language and we like to, to, to formu- formulate the mission statement in a specific way. But the reality is every one of us exists to bring glory to God. And that's our ultimate purpose is to bring Him glory with everything that we think, say, do, and desire. And, and that's what we talked about last week. And, um, there are a lot of things that can bring God glory, but we believe transformed lives bring God the greatest glory. And there's a reason that we said transformed lives and not changed lives. There's a lot of events that can change a life. A phone call from a doctor, a bad report, a bad accident. There are a lot of things that can change a life. But only God can transform a life. Change makes something different. Transformation makes something new. And we're about transformed lives, not just changed behavior. And it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that transformation comes. And so that's a quick recap of what we talked about last week. Now I want us to jump on and answer another question today. Last, last week we answered the question, why do we exist? Uh, this week we're answering the question, who are we? Um, and so to answer that question, um, we call this our vision statement, who we are. And this is, how we, this is how we say it here. Our vision is that we don't accomplish our mission by what we do, but by who we are. That's our mission statement. Now, let me, let me break this down. There, most mission statements don't sound, uh, vision statements, excuse me, don't sound like this. A lot of times a vision statement is is a picture of a preferred future with um, descriptions of goals and challenges and what we'd like to see us become in five years or ten years. Um, But but we wanted to look at it in a little bit different light because we really believe at Element Church that it is not about what you do but about who you are that determines whether or not we accomplish our mission. And we're going to spend the rest of today talking about 
um, that vision statement. So I'm going to say it again, and then like the mission statement, I want you to say it with me. All right, so our vision, we don't accomplish our mission by what we do, but by who we are. So I want you to say it with me this time. Our vision, we don't accomplish our mission by what we do, but by who we are. Uh, for how many of you, and, and just show me by a raise of hand, does Elliot Spitzer ring a bell? Is anybody familiar with that name? We're a few years removed, so it might be a little unfamiliar. Elliot Spitzer was the governor of the state of New York. Does that ring a bell now? Let me tell you about Elliot Spitzer. He, he grew to fame and really made his name as the attorney general of the state of New York. And his passion was to take down organized crime and to rid the city and the state of organized crime rings. And a lot of that evolved around mob families in New York, but a lot of it also evolved around prostitution rings in the state of New York. And for a long time, Elliot Spitzer gained his name and his fame by being tough on crime, specifically organized crime and crime rings. And then he ran for governor in 2008. And in 2008... His slogan was, day one, things change. Because he was tired of all the corruption in politics. He was tired of all the politicians saying one thing and doing another. And by a landslide victory, Elliot Spencer was elected to be the governor of New York. And six months later, uh, he was forced to hold a press conference to resign because it had come out that... um, that he had been involved with a prostitution ring himself. And, and so as it came out, this man who was all about destroying organized crime, this man who was all about, who had, made some, had led some of the biggest bust of prostitution rings in, in the state of New York's history, turns out was a man who was partly causing the problem himself. And... Unfortunately, uh, that story is not all that uncommon. Now, the, the details, the specifics change, um, but we see time and time and time again people from the limelight who are set up to be something and turned out that their actions don't quite match. Maybe you're not as familiar with Elliot Spitzer, but Lance Armstrong, that name surely rings a bell to you. Even if you don't bike. Like, I literally have not been on a bicycle since I was... 10 years old. But we all know Lance Armstrong. Now, if I were to ask the question and take a survey in here of why did Lance fall from grace? Um, the, the, the initial thought would be, well, he cheated. He took all the steroids. And, and that may be partially true. Um, but what caused Lance Armstrong the greatest fall from the public eye and the most destruction was his habitual lying about the steroids. As the investigations have shown, almost every, every cyclist at the time was involved in some way or another of taking drugs. And even Lance himself, whether his testimony is valid or not at this point, says that there wasn't any way to keep up with the competition if you weren't playing the game the same way everyone else was playing it. And while many people have been caught with drugs and steroids and, and breaking the rules... Lance has had a particularly difficult fall from grace. Now, here's the deal. 
Lance's fall from grace doesn't take away from what he's done. When Not just cycling, and, and obviously some of those things have been taken from him, but, but, but even the millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that he's raised for cancer research. Or the hope that he's given to people with cancer who thought, you know what, I can just, it's not just about surviving cancer, but I can thrive after cancer and giving millions of people hope about what, what their future could look like and that they didn't have to be defined by their diagnosis. Nothing can take away from what Lance has done. But because he didn't have the personal character integrity to back it up, he lost everything. He lost not just money and not just awards, but he lost respect and he lost influence and he even lost a position on his own nonprofit company to, to aid in cancer research. Now, I don't mean to pick on Spitzer or Armstrong because the reality is um, there's a lot of politicians and there's a lot of athletes who have fallen from grace or if we knew their whole stories could. I'm also not picking on them because if any one of us had to stand on this stage and, and the secrets of our lives were scrolled on that screen, there's not many of us, if any of us, who could stand up here and be proud of what was everything that was displayed on the screen. But so many times we get confused about what's most important, what we do or who we are. Men like Spitzer and Armstrong thought that they were invincible because of what they had done. Spitzer had taken down multiple prostitution rings himself. Spitzer had taken down mob and, and, and mafia families. But he, but he wasn't above it. Who he was eventually came out and it destroyed everything that he had done. I want you, if you've got your Bible with you, to open up to Matthew chapter 23. Open up to Matthew chapter 23. If you don't have a Bible, pull out your phone or your tablet and open up the Bible app. If you don't have that, then there should be a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. And if you're using one of our Bibles, the page numbers will be displayed on the screen. Make it a little easier for you to find your way. So Matthew chapter 23. We're going to talk about some people who experienced the same thing that Spitzer, Armstrong, and maybe if we were honest, us, have experienced. We're going to talk about the struggles that we deal with in our own life. We're going to talk about God's desire and His plan for it. So Matthew chapter 23, and, and at first we're just going to start with verses 1 through 7, and then we'll work our way through. It says this, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but do not, uh, but not what they do. Now, let's back up for a minute. Um, when Jesus says the scribes and the Pharisees, um, the Pharisees are the religious rulers of the day, and they're not, they're not great guys. All right? They don't make the top ten list on the good side of the Bible. Um, now, they had a lot of respect among the average person of the day, but it wasn't respect because of their integrity. It was respect out of fear because the Pharisees held all the power. They held all the religious power and a significant portion of the political power. And so they were 
unfortunately very involved in the Roman government and quite corrupt. So when you think of Pharisee, internally, like you should naturally just want to boo every time like we read Pharisee out of the Bible. All right, so let me help you put it in perspective. And so then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Oakland Raiders sit on, does that work? Boo. All right, for our Jonesboro people, the Broncos don't have any respect for the Raiders, all right? Um, we could say, this, here's another one. This may communicate a little better. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Sooners sit on. They did it. I, I, did, I thought it would be quiet. I thought I'd. <laughs> All right, let's. It's great having a microphone because you can just do whatever you want. All right, then, all right let, let's go back. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. What he's referring to at that point is um, Moses, as we've talked about before, is in the Jewish Hall of Fame. All right, He's one of the guys that all the Jewish people look up to, uh, almost as we would think of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. Um, a man of great respect who we owe a lot to, who has led our nation in a great direction. Um, Moses is a part of this little elite hall of fame for the Jewish people. And it was through Moses that God gave the law. Now he gave a lot of laws and he gave a lot of rules. But specifically, even if you're totally unfamiliar with the Old Testament, you'd be familiar with the Ten Commandments. Um, that Those overarching Ten Commandments that all the other rules and laws um, fall underneath. And so he's referring to the man who God used to give law and order and rule and structure to the Jewish people. And so he says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So they're sitting in a place of authority similar to Moses. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. Not exactly what you want Jesus to say about you. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. And lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now there's some big words. Phylacteries are small leather leather boxes um, that particularly pious and devout Jews uh, would tie a box around their left arm. And they would tie a box around their head, just like a headband, where um, the box would sit up front, and they would write scriptures out and put them in the box. Um, These guys were so zealous for their faith that they took literally, when the Bible, um, when when God instructs his people to be so passionate about his word that you should write them on your wrists and write them on your head. And so they took it literally, not as though God wants you to internalize it and make it every part of your life and influence every part of your life, but they took it literally. So they literally wore these boxes around where they would put Scripture in them um, for everyone to see. The fringes are these blue tassels, uh, blue ropes that would hang from the four, four corners of your garment. And they were supposed to be a constant reminder to obey God in all of His commands. And, and these religious leaders... Are, are so proud of themselves that they make their boxes much bigger than everyone else because they want everyone to see it. Their tassels, their ropes are much 
longer and more obnoxious than anyone else's because they want everybody to see it. Verse 6, And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. That term rabbi um, is used in several ways. Sometimes it's used for people who have literally, literally been through a rabbinic rabbinical training and school, but oftentimes it's used just um, as a sign of respect um, for those that, you know, their followers would call them rabbi, but also meant master or sir or lord or teacher. And so Jesus doesn't have a lot of great things to say about these men. And a lot of times we forget about who's hanging out with Jesus. Certainly the 12, we, we know they're always there. And as we've talked about multiple times, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people all around Jesus all the time. Everywhere he goes, there's a crowd. Um, anytime he shows up to a town, everyone comes out to see. Imagine being in this time frame and hearing the stories about Jesus that you would have heard. Imagine living today in the 21st century and hearing those kind of stories about a man. And if he comes to town, you better know that everyone's going to want to go see him. Maybe just because you want to be entertained. You just want to see what he's going to do next. Maybe you don't believe the story, so you want to go and find out if they're true. Maybe you're the one who needs help and you're sick or hurt. And you're hoping maybe, just maybe, this man can help me. And so there's a crowd around Jesus. And what we often forget is that these religious leaders show up all the time. They're always in the crowd. Sometimes they make themselves known. Sometimes they try to blend in and hide because they hate Jesus. And they're always looking for a reason to justify their hatred and to do something about it. And so Jesus, knowing not only are the crowd, is there a huge crowd, the multitude around him, but probably these Pharisees and these scribes and these religious leaders are among the crowd too. And he doesn't have any patience and he doesn't have any caution about calling them out uh, for their hypocrisy. And so here's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to pronounce seven woes on these people. And, and we're going to take a brief look at those seven woes and, and about what it means. What is it that Jesus is so frustrated about with these religious leaders because they say one thing, but they do something else. Because they do something in public, but in private, they're an entirely different person. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in verse 13 with, with the first woe. So turn to, turn to verse 13, chapter 23. And here's what Jesus says. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. These religious leaders had set up and created extra barriers to get to God. They had decided that it was their obligation to make it harder for people to get to God. That they wanted to up the ante because they didn't want just anybody, lazy, selfish people coming and uh, trying to just take something from God. They, they wanted to find out who really wants it. Who's really serious about this? So they created their own special rules and barriers to prevent people, if they didn't, weren't going to take it seriously enough, from coming to Jesus, or from coming to God. But I, I think even churches do that today. 
Now, we don't say we do that, but we set up barriers. You have to look like this if you want to be a part of us. If, if, if you, if you want to be a part of this group, if you want to be here, if you want to know more about Jesus, that's great. Make sure you dress appropriately when you do it, though. We have a tendency to set up extra barriers about what's expected and required before you're even allowed to approach Jesus. Turn with me to verse 15. Verse 15, Jesus continues and he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single uh, proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now there's some harsh, harsh, harsh words. And so these religious leaders, they made it difficult to come to God. They set up extra rules, extra barriers, extra expectations to weed out the weak ones, the lazy ones, the unsure ones, to make sure only those who really wanted it and were serious could get to God. And then, on top of that, Jesus says, then you travel around all over the place trying to get people to join your team, not because you want them to be a part of your team, but because you want to make them just as much a slave to your extra rules as you are. And so not only do you make it difficult to get in, but once someone does get in, you make it unbearable. You create so many distractions that it's almost impossible to know what, what you're really trying to be about. You make it so impossible to follow all the rules that you discourage and enslave everyone. That you've lost sight of what the truth is and what really matters. Let's jump on to verse 16. He says this, Woe to you, blind guides, who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And he is actually going to go on for several more verses, giving some more examples. Um, But here's what Jesus is talking about. These religious leaders had created their own loopholes. They had built these systems, as Jesus had talked about earlier in verse or in chapter 23, they had built these systems, these burdens that were so impossible to bear, yet, as Jesus said, they weren't even willing to move a finger to ca- help carry the load. They wouldn't touch it with their own finger, but they expected everyone else to carry the burden on their back. And here, Jesus is calling them out because they find loopholes for themselves. Yeah. If you want to be a part of this church, you want to be a real Christian? These are the things you have to do. These are the steps that you have to take every single day. This is what you have to look like. This is what you have to sound like. And this is all of the hoops you have to jump through. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Don't ask about me. Because me and God have a, a secret deal worked out so that I don't, I don't have to do those things. Yeah. I know what it looks like, but, but you need to know my heart. We love to judge other people by their actions, but we always judge ourselves by our intentions. And these religious leaders had created their own loopholes. 
Yeah, 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 you got to follow all those rules, but me, well, we're special. We're in our own category. We, we do things a little differently. And so they'd made it almost impossible for other people, but found ways that they didn't have to follow it. Verse 23 says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. And here Jesus is calling their obvious hypocrisy that the Pharisees, these religious, uh, religious leaders, had majored on the minors. They had found the obscure, ridiculous details that they were going to follow because they thought it made them better than everyone else. You see, part of God's plan was that, that everybody, every part of God's people, would bring 10% of their proceeds, whether it was money or crops or uh, livestock, and you'd bring 10% to the temple, and that would help... Uh, fund the operating cost for the temple. And so there was a whole tribe of people that their job was to be priests, and they weren't allowed to have other jobs. And so, um, so those, that 10% that was brought to the temple helped take care of the temple and fund the temple, but also helped take care of the priest and the temple. And here Jesus is calling out these religious leaders for their total hypocrisy. What they were doing is they would go into their herb garden and make sure that they plucked 10% of everything that grew in their herb garden. Just the pure minutia. Make sure that every leaf was accounted for. And they would make sure they brought exactly their 10%, even of their spices, to the temple. But in the end, they missed the big picture. They were so proud of themselves because they had followed these tiny little rules they thought it made them better than everyone but in the reality in reality they missed the mark jesus said congratulations you tie on your spice rack but if you're going to neglect justice and mercy and righteousness i think you've missed the point and gives a great word picture straining out a net and swallowing a camel let's let's move on to the next one Verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but, the inside, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean out the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. And here Jesus is calling them out for their contagious hypocrisy. Now, here's what you need to know about me. Uh, my household is perfect. That's not funny. My children are perfect. They wake up in the mornings and they're happy and entirely respectful and just a joy. To, they're so happy to get up for the day. When, when my son comes home from school, him and his sister, they play so quietly in their rooms. And when they smell food cooking, without even being asked, they put away their toys and clean their room. They come downstairs, and just by the smell of dinner cooking, they set the table. No. None of that is true. 
Now, my kids are the sweetest, best kids in the world. But they're still kids. And sinful kids. So, um, just like your household, we deal with the same issues. But let's, just for the sake of argument, let's say you come over for dinner tonight. And the table is set perfectly. When you, and, and we pull out the really nice stuff. And, and by that, I don't mean China, because we don't even own China. But I mean like the Target plates instead of paper plates. All right, So we put out the good stuff. And you come in, and you're so impressed. The table's ready. House smells great. Everything looks great. And you sit down. And just before I come to pour in the, your iced tea, or if you're in our house, it's probably coffee that we're serving, and just before it's getting poured, you look, and it's obvious that cup hasn't been cleaned in years. And then you look, and at closer examination on your plate, you can tell there's old, dried food. A little mold growing on it. I did. At that moment... It does not matter how well the table is put together. At that moment, it does not matter how clean the outside of the cup is. You aren't going to drink what's on the inside. And if that's what our cups and our plates look like, you can only imagine what the pots and pans that we use to cook dinner look like. And that's the picture Jesus is drawing out here. Congratulations, you cleaned the outside of the cup. But if the inside is so dirty, does it matter? If the inside is so dirty that anybody who drank out of it would get contamination, you missed the point. And these religious leaders had prettied themselves up so well on the outside. But on the inside, it was a whole other ball game. On the inside, if people really knew what was on the inside, they wouldn't want anything to do with it. They wouldn't want anything to do with these men. Let's jump on to the next one, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's, dead people's bones, and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is similar to the analogy he gave with the cup. And here he's talking about false life. On on the analogy with the cup, he was referencing, you know, on the outside you look great, but on the inside, not so much. If people only knew. Now he's talking about on the outside, it seems like you've got it all put together and your life is going well. It seems as though God's doing something in your life, but on the inside, you're just dead. You put on a great show. You do what everyone expects you to do. But on the inside, it's all, when we look on the inside, we know it's all fake. And the reality, now we see It is just a show. And the Bible teaches over and over and over that what's inside a man will come out. That life inside of a man or woman will flow out of them. That what's on the inside matters most because eventually it'll work itself out 
onto the outside. And Jesus saying here, you did a great job of putting on a show on the outside, but what's on the inside is death. Here's the last one. Verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. We'll talk about what this means in just a moment. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. So one of the things that the religious leaders would do is they would brag about how they were different than everyone else. And and even not just that they were better and more religious and more pious than everyone around them, but they even referenced the old dead generations. We're better than they are. Because if we had lived back then, we wouldn't have committed the same atrocities as they would have as they committed. We would be much better than them. And Jesus says, You're no different. Maybe the circumstances are a little different. Maybe you look different. But in the end, you have the same heart. In the end, you're not any different than those previous generations that you love to condemn. These seven woes, chapter 23 of Matthew, is just one of many examples when God calls out, Jesus calls out these religious leaders for their hypocrisy, for the things that they were doing, for the way that they weren't living up to their own standards that they were putting on others, the fact that they had made their own loopholes, the fact that they were more worried about what was on the outside than what was on the inside. And just as Jesus called out these religious leaders, it's a call for us. It's a call for us to stop and examine ourselves for a minute. To stop and think, am I a whitewashed tomb? Have I put on the show so that everyone thinks God's doing something in my life, that I have this abundant life, but on the inside it's It's just dead man's bones. Am I that cup? It's been polished on the outside. But if people only knew what was really on the inside. I have these expectations of others that are so impossible they could never fulfill them. But I have a lot of loopholes. I've got a lot of ways around them in my own life. See, time and time again, Jesus teaches us what's on the inside is of much greater importance than what's on the outside. And that's why our vision statement is we, accomp- we don't accomplish our mission by what we do, but by who we are. Now, don't get me wrong. There are things that we do and don't do here. And there's reasons for it, and over the coming weeks, we're going to talk about some of those things. As a matter of fact, next week, 
We're talking about ministry and what that looks like at Element Church and how it works itself out. That's a sermon that's all about what we do. But we can never be deceived in thinking that what we do defines us. Or that what we do is what enables us to accomplish our mission. These men had the outward actions for the most part correct. Just to be a Pharisee meant that you had the whole Old Testament memorized. Just to make it through step one of training. So by the time you're 13 years old, just to pass level one, you had to have the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. These men knew the Bible. But they didn't get it. These men had all the right outward actions. But they missed the point. These men were filled with great zeal and passion. And their hearts and intentions were great. They were just focused on the wrong thing. Let us never be deceived that if we get all of our actions in line, as individuals or as a church, as individuals, if we have our checklist of all the things that we're supposed to do that define us as a good Christian, as a quality, passionate follower of Christ, or as a church that we have all of our programs and ministries and, and mission statements and All these things lined up in a row. Don't let us ever be deceived. That that's the mark of success. Now those things need to be there. Next week we're going to talk about how our mission and our vision propel us to appropriate action. But don't ever let us be deceived. As a church or as individuals. That what we do defines us. That so long as we have all our ducks in a row, we've succeeded. Because it's very apparent that you can appear righteous. But, but be full of death and uncleanliness and hypocrisy on the inside. When we set out to originally plant Element Church... And we started dreaming about three years ago and really started putting things into motion about two years ago. Um, One of the tough things is always uh, picking a name for the church. Um, It's probably one of those things that preachers care a lot about and nobody else thinks it's a big deal. All right, but it's kind of like naming your kid. Like most names are just in the middle, like they're not bad, they're not great, they're just names, you know. But, But occasionally you hear that name and you're like, oh, that was a bad idea. Right? And, and we didn't want that to be us. We wanted a name that meant something that was valuable, that communicated something. Um, but wasn't, we weren't trying to be so creative that we got weird. And as we were praying, not about what to name the church, but we really began to pray, who is God calling us to be? You know, we talked about our mission statement last, last week. And that was one of the first things that we were able to nail down. Because it's all built off Scripture. 
And, and that list at the welcome table has Scripture after Scripture after Scripture of how we understand that us, as God's creation, were created to bring Him glory. That's why we exist as individuals. That's why we exist as a church, regardless of what our name is. We exist to bring glory to God. And we believe we're called to do that through transformation. Through whole lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how is that going to flesh itself out in our church? Not what are we going to do, but who are we going to be? And, and that's where Element Church was birthed. Elements in the physical world, they're basic foundational building blocks of everything we see, yet they're tangible. You can hold an element. Well, some of them, some would hurt, but for the most part, you can hold an element. Now, you can break it down farther into atoms and protons and neutrons and a lot of stuff that I haven't, I haven't thought about since like freshman year of high school. You can break them down farther and farther and farther, but you can't ever hold it. It's not tangible. It's just... It's just theoretical. But an element you can touch. It's real. And that's where we came up with the name Element Church. That as a church, not what we do, but who we are, that we want to be simple and biblical and real. By simple, we mean there's a lot of things we could do and we're going to say no to a lot of good things so that we can say yes to a few great things. There'll be a lot of programs and ministries here at Element Church uh, that won't ever happen because rather than spreading ourselves very thin and wide, we're going to stay narrow and deep. There's a lot of churches that do a lot of great ministries and programs, and a lot of them we won't do here. Not because they're not good, not because they're not important, but because we're going to be simple and basic. We're going to say no to a lot of great things in order to say yes. Uh, we're going to say no to a lot of good things in order to say yes to a few great things. We're going to be basic. All of us are busy. Very few of us need a bunch of extra activities in our life. What we need is a body and a community of believers that are going to help us do what we're already doing better for the glory of God. Biblical. Everything we do is set on the foundation of Scripture. From everything we say to everything we do to everything we promote. We're not only going to be simple, but we're going to be foundational. And our foundation is in God's Word. It's God's way of revealing Himself to us and revealing what He desires and what He wants for us and from us. We're going to be basic, simple, we're going to be foundational and biblical, and we're going to be real. We're going to be tangible. So many times we miss as a church because... We're so often in the field of theoretical thinking. But this church is always going to be a church made up of just real people. 
not pretenders, not clean cups on the outside and whitewashed tombs. We're just going to be who we are. We're going to be real. We're never going to ask anyone to be anything other than that. It's perfectly acceptable to be struggling. It's okay to not be okay. So long as you jump in this journey with us, as we seek to bring God glory and try to figure out how to make that happen in our daily lives. Because in the end, what matters most is not what we do, but who we are. If we miss it, then we're not any different than the people Jesus called out and he'd say the same things about us that he said about them. But if we can get that right, if we can worry more about on who we are, then we trust the scriptures that that will work itself out into what we do. I want you to say this vision statement with me one more time. If you can put it up there. Our vision, we don't accomplish our mission by what we do, but by who we are. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to think and reflect and to be challenged. God, with all my heart, I pray that you would continually lead us and guide us and help us to be a church that brings you glory, to be a church that actively and regularly see, sees lives transformed by your gospel. And God, I pray that none of us would ever forget that who we are is much more defining and much more important than just what we do. And God, as we pray, I pray that as we seek to become more of who you want us to be, that uh, what we do would be the right things and it would be uh, ministries and programs and opportunities that would bring you great glory. I want you to just keep your eyes closed for a moment. You know, it's really easy to talk about it's important that, you know, it's more important about who you are than what you do when we're talking about someone else. When we're talking about the church, when we're talking about an organization, it's so much easier, but when you stop and think about it for yourself, who I am is much more important than what I do. Uh, I think if you're like me, in some ways it stings a little. It's always much easier to just do the right things. To follow a certain set of rules or steps or procedures and neglect what's really in the heart. Now never during that, that speech to the Pharisees did God say, did Jesus say, I don't want you to be clean on the outside. I don't want you to obey the rules. When he was talking about the Pharisees tithing, giving their 10% of their spice rack, 
He said, you should have done the former, but not neglected the latter. So this isn't a, a time to stop and think about how we have license to do what we want because that doesn't really matter. It's, it's a time to stop and reflect on who we are because who we are will eventually work itself out into our actions. Maybe not every day, but those moments when you're stressed, those moments when you haven't had enough sleep, the moments when you're at the end of your rope and you don't know what else to do, what's inside starts to come outside. As a church, our challenge is to always remember that who we are is so much more important than what we do. As individuals, we need to stop and reflect on who we are, on what's on the inside, about the motivations of your heart, about the desires of your heart, about why you want to do certain things, why why it is that you do what you do. And the good news is that, like all of us, as we examine and we find things that we aren't particularly proud of, the good news of Jesus Christ is that He brings life transformation. 2 Corinthians 5 teaches us that for those who are in Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. That Jesus is in a continual process of bringing life and new life to us on the inside. My challenge and encouragement this morning is to be honest and real. To be real about what's inside. To confront it. To confess it. To lay it over to the Lord and maybe even confessing it to someone in here. Getting help and prayer and encouragement that you wouldn't leave today thinking that your outward actions will be enough to cover it up. Second Samuel says, while man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Jesus continued to move amongst us, continue to challenge us as we worship through our giving and singing. I pray that you'd be honored and that what we sing and what we give would be a reflection of what's inside of us, not just a religious duty that we feel obligated to fulfill. I ask that you continue to move this morning. Praise in your name.